wrestling fans, how you doing? You are listening to the next era in pro wrestling analysis. You're listening to WrestleRant Radio. I'm Tommy Sharp alongside Graham GSM Matthews here to bring you the front-to-end WWE coverage that you deserve. Listen online at nexterawrestling.net. It has been an exciting time in the past two weeks for WWE and the WWE Universe. Graham, a pleasure as always. With a historic Hell in the Cell behind us and Survivor Series fast approaching, let's take a moment to look at the path that led us here today. Let's paint a picture, if you will, of the state of the WWE Universe. Let's go back and start with the fallout from Hell in a Cell and trace our roots to where we are right now. But first of all, how are you feeling? Feeling phenomenal. Feeling we are phenomenal. only I'm feeling phenomenal right now. We are only how many days is it? We are a week and a half until Survivor Series. Less next than Sunday. ten days away from Survivor Series, and so much has happened in the past two and a half, three weeks. It has been uh, a really great and impactful run, building up to a very meaningful Survivor Series. The mm-hmm. card is shaping up, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Uh, we both were in attendance and present for a historic. Hell in a Cell, right here in our home area of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, Now, uh, we didn't get a chance to really talk about some of the results, and the only reason we're going to go back right now and talk about some of these things is because the tendrils of things that were decided at Hell in a Cell have made a major impact on the picture that is coming up in less than 10 days at Survivor Series on the WWE Network. Now, we kicked things off at Hell in a Cell with a cruiserweight tag match. What were your initial thoughts? We had Cedric Alexander, Lince Dorado, and Sin Cara, who defeated Tony Nese, Drew Gulak, and Arya <laughs> <Aria> Tavari. <laughs> I always get tripped up there. What were your thoughts about this kicking off Hell in a Cell, and how, how did you feel about the competition in the ring? I thought it was great because we talked, I think, that Friday. I think we talked that Friday about the Cruiserweights being in the first hour of Raw, why they should be positioned towards the beginning of the show, which they did not do in the pay-per-view itself. Kendrick and Perkins took place in the final few matches, which I wasn't a fan of. The match itself was good. We'll get that soon enough. But the kickoff match, the six-man tag team match, that was really, really good. Um, Before they started hitting home, you know, driving home the six-man Eight man, two time, you know, the four man tag team matches that we see on Raw every single week now. Um, I thought this match was really good. I thought, above all else, Cedric Alexander absolutely shined. The guy is a total star, picking up the win for his team with a lumbar check, which is a phenomenal looking finishing maneuver, especially in person. You got front row seats, so you got to see it closer than I did. Um, but I thought it was a really fun way of kicking off the show. It really was high energy, and certainly you, I, I will echo what you said. Cedric Alexander came out with a huge presence against, I feel, an equally competitive Tony Nese who is eyeing for the same kind of spotlight and in the cruiserweight division it is all about spotlights and I think that that's really the core behind a lot of these tag matches we're seeing in the cruiserweight division is who is going to take that spotlight especially on a team that you're just randomly assigned to so I I fully expect to see that play out more with what we have in store for the cruiserweights coming up but let's move on to the United States Championship match Roman Reigns defeated handily Rusev in a Hell in a Cell match Honestly, I'm going to rank this one up there as one of the top matches of the night for me. I think uh, Roman Reigns uh, looked incredibly focused 
during this match and had an absolute attack plan against how he was going to defeat Rusev. And it seemed like a given from the moment he stepped into the ring with Rusev. So what did you see out of Roman Reigns in that, I think, his second Hell in a Cell match? Mm -hmm. What do you think about Roman versus Rusev? And do you think that that has put all of that to bed between the two of them? I would hope so. Again, I'm going to go back to our episode from two weeks ago, the last time we were together. We said Roman and Rusev should kick off the show, and it did. It was by far the best possible placement for that bout. Just a lot of energy, a lot of hard-hitting physical action, getting almost 25 minutes of in-ring time. They more than made the most of it. Roman just enduring a lot of punishment in the hands of the Bulgarian brew. A accolade on top of the stage, or on top of the steps, rather, steel steps, taking the chain as well. But it was a spear from the top of the steel steps that secured the victory for Roman Reigns, still the United States champion. It can't get any more decisive than that. Rusev has kind of has kind of been spinning his wheels in the past two weeks since, but I would think that would put the final nail in the coffin of this feud. Oh, and not only to say that we predicted or were hoping for that to kick off the show, but furthering uh, Rusev's uh, uh, movement within the WWE on the Raw side, he has been directly in competition and confronting the Universal Champion. So these are some of the things that we were hoping for, that we were predicting, that we were seeing you know, maybe glimpses of, and we will continue to see that. But right now, everyone's focused on Survivor Series, so we're not going to get a full picture on that until we get past Survivor Series in less than 10 days. But switching uh, sides a little bit here, um, there was a really interesting match between Bailey and Dana Brooke that happened at Hell in a Cell. It came early in the card, and uh, I think that both of them came out looking very strong. But I think in the end... I, they somewhat felt a little bit evenly matched to me. And maybe that's Bailey still stepping up her game and introducing herself to new and different types of uh, opponents. Or maybe that just means that Dana Brooke has stepped up her game that much to be an equal competitor to Bailey. And what does that say about Dana Brooke's future, I wonder? That's a thing. I feel like, well, she is not a part of the Survivor Series team. That's important to point out. Um, she was not included in the in the group of five men this past Monday night. It's going to be Charlotte, Bailey, Sasha Banks... Uh, Alicia Fox and Nia Jax. No Dana Brooke. She is the coach or the mascot or something for the team. I know she was in the graphics somewhere there, but she's not physically directly involved in the match. So I'm not sure where she goes from here. I felt that win was much more important for Bailey than it was for Dana Brooke and getting her right back on track. And then there you go. Bailey gets the win. Bailey makes the team. Dana loses. A spot is available Wins for and somebody losses else. Do matter, it yeah. does matter, and it does make quite a difference. And it certainly made quite a difference in the tag team match, one of many tag team matches here in the Hell in a Cell card between Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, who defeated Enzo Amore and Big Cass. Now, uh, Gallows and Anderson came out like with an agenda to hurt, you know, and I really think that they did lay a hurting on Enzo and Cass, who just didn't look like they had the speed or the coordination that night to get the job done. Mm -hmm. What did you see uh, coming from specifically Enzo and Cass? I, I felt like Gallows and Anderson did what they do, tried and true, and, and just went out there and were a wrecking crew. So what what, what about Enzo and Cass? What, what do you think that that did for them, and how did that maybe hurt them in the tag team picture? I think for Bailey, a lot like Bailey, it was a must-win situation for Enzo and Cass. Once again, coming up short, I guess you can argue they got their momentum back on track the next night on Raw when Enzo Amore beat Luke Gallows in a trick-or-street fight in a Halloween episode. Um, but the match itself was all right. I will say 
the match was good, but I think that the highlight for me anyway, having grown up in the 90s as well, kind of more, I'm more of a 95 kid, but uh, Toy Story reference during the entrance of Enzo Mori and Big Cass, which that was pretty funny. It's true, there was a big <laughs> Halloween component to this show being a little bit more removed and having a couple of uh, major events happen in the world since then. You kind of yes. forget that this was on uh, 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 a, a... On the eve a, of Halloween. On the yeah. eve of Halloween, and certainly um, Enzo Amore uh, is not one to miss an opportunity to be outlandish, and he took that opportunity. And I feel like that 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 kind of uh, le- levity going into hell in a cell, you know, the whole pay-per-view, even though they're not in a cell or anything like that, that kind of levity, I think didn't service them so well. And I think they they felt a little bit more distracted by entertaining than necessarily performing. And certainly Gallows and Anderson are not there to entertain nope. anyone. They're there to hurt some people. So that's what they did. And that's why going into Survivor Series, I think that they are correct in saying that if they're not leading the team, then they're not listening to anybody. And that's just, that, that seems par for the course for them. But I think that they've gone out there and now proven that that they, they have that kind of clout. So speaking of uh, kind of uh, that antagonistic clout, WWE Universal Champion Kevin Owens was successful in defending his Universal title against Seth Rollins in a very close, very, very close Hell in a Cell match. And, and I think that they used the Cell in a number of unique ways that were really just awe-inspiring to see at times. So what, what were some of your highlights from, from watching that match from where you were? For a feud that has gone under the radar for so long, for the past couple of months, the women have kind of been the, the spotlight, the highlight of every weekend Raw. I thought this match well over-exceeded my expectations. I mean, it's, it's kind of tough to say just because it's involving Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, two of the best superstars, most well-rounded athletes in the entire company. But I thought this entire match was really well-wrestled. A lot of aggression there, physicality on both sides. Jericho getting involved, um, kind of allowing Kevin Owens to score the victory. <clears throat> but I really enjoyed this match a lot. Yeah. I thought Jericho really played, had a strong presence in this matchup. And Rollins showed his tenacity, his resilience, and battling back and not taking no for an answer, kicking out of the, not the pedigree, the, the pop-up powerbomb, and then still kicking out and then taking chair shot after chair shot after chair shot. But at what point, you know, something's got to give. And well, in the end, Owens retained the title. It's no surprise that Rollins is able to take a beating. It's no surprise <clears> that Rollins is resilient. Look yep. at the, his recovery speed from, from his, his massive knee injury. The thing about it is is that he feels like, for me, he's lost a bit of that mastermind, that, that architect inside of him that was agree. designing every step and five and ten steps down the line and thinking and running around you logically. It seems that... Kevin Owens and his best friend Chris Jericho have taken that template mm-hmm. and completely turned it against Seth Rollins. And I think much to Seth's frustration, he has now resulted to cheap insults and backhandedness and, and just trying to get under their skin and elicit a reaction to catch them off guard. But that's where he's at. And if that's his best plan, I hate to say it, but it feels a little thin. It's just not going to pan out because I think Jericho and KO, they have this covered. They have it covered from every angle. They're two of the smartest and, and most like different different minds coming from to- two totally different places. And I think that that's the thing that Rollins is missing. He's missing pieces of the puzzle that he used to have. He used to have a crew that helped him form that architect mind. And now it's just him designing everything and he's got no one to bounce this stuff off of. And, and, and for Kevin Owens, he absolutely does. So 
That, I think, made all the difference. It certainly found Chris Jericho in the ring, which, you know, as much as I wanted to see maybe Seth Rollins take that title away from uh, Kevin Owens, seeing Chris Jericho in person, no matter what his his uh, mentality is these days, or if I would potentially end up on a list <laughs> if I were to, to be around him, it was still something else to see that plan come together. And you have to hand it to them. They, they they completely surprised uh, Seth Rollins and everybody in the audience uh, as to what was going to happen there. So Kevin Owens still our WWE Universal Champion on the Raw side and uh, uh, it, having so many uh, big matches at this point, a couple of title defenses, uh, a couple of tag matches, that's a pretty full card already. And then right in the middle of all of it is Brian Kendrick defeating TJ Perkins to win the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. And before before I ask any questions, it I was holding all reservations, all excitement, all thoughts and anything until I saw what Kendrick had to say on Monday Night Raw the following night. Was he a man with a plan like we talked about in our last show two weeks ago? Was he a man with a plan or did this just happen to, to, to come together for him on one night? And I think that Brian Kendrick proved definitively that he had been planning this since the end of the Cruiserweight Classic and that this was his tact, like his very uh, uh, methodical approach to getting under the skin of a naive TJ Perkins. What do you think of our new Cruiserweight champion, the Brian Kendrick? Well, we've been praising Kendrick for weeks. He's a mastermind. You talk about it. I think the segue's right there with Seth Rollins and not really being that architect that he once was. Kendrick is just that. On his own, he has no followers. He's a man that does his own thing. He really has no allies in that cruiserweight division on Monday Night Raw. Not Tony Nese, not Drew Gulak, nobody. It's Brian Kendrick, the Brian Kendrick on his own. And he proved he didn't need anyone else. He won the championship on his own by outsmarting TJ Perkins to become the second only WWE Cruiserweight Champion in company history. And now we'll talk about it later too, but all that could be on the line come Survivor Series with Kalisto. Him and the entire division, the title, everything that the Cruiserweight division stands for could be heading over to SmackDown come Survivor Series. We'll get to that soon enough, but in terms of this match, I thought Kendrick really nailed it. And we were were able to see it in person, the the, the first ever Cruiserweight title change in company history. Yes, I mean, to see that live and to know that this is such a new uh, facet of the WWE Universe... You kind of had to hold some reservation of cheer for both sides. I think that it was it was equally as interesting to see what Brian Kendrick was going to bring to the table because we just haven't seen this Brian Kendrick before. We've seen him in other places. We've seen him in the WWE, but we haven't seen him in this with this kind of mindset. So I I I held reservation and heard what he had to say, and I can't honestly disagree with them all that much. I mean, I, I hate to feud with, uh, to side with somebody that uh, has less than noble intentions of being an in-ring competitor, but he, he was purposeful. He knew what he was doing. And I think that there is a, a certain level of acknowledgement that one has to make that TJ Perkins let himself, left himself to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And when you're vulnerable and you're a champion, you get taken advantage of. And that's how you get the rid of the belt pretty quick. And he did. So I think that that 
knocks TJ Perkins down a little bit for me. He's got a little bit more to prove that he can be kind of like a more cutthroat champion and, and keep that level of competition high while never compromising on what he believes in and how he wants to approach being a champion. The two have to meet somewhere along the way, and he's got a lot of great examples to look up to. And, uh, I, and I hope that he grows, learns, and quickly retains and, and recaptures the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. But we had a, a, a yet another championship match. It was a full night of champions, <laughs> if you will, uh, at Hell in a Cell. And Cesaro and Sheamus uh, were faced up against the New Day in a, uh, a tag team title match. Uh, Cesaro and Sheamus uh, on record here picking up the win, but that's not really how things played out. Uh, in, in, in just referencing our show from two weeks ago, we said, or I said more appropriately, that the New Day has been as respectful of a team having three members because they don't traditionally or frequently uh, use that third member to gain a disqualified type win. And unfortunately, that is exactly what happened here with uh, Cesaro and Sheamus. And it's interesting because Cesaro and Sheamus aren't necessarily uh, rivals of the New Day in any way. They they obtained this opportunity by having a best of ser- seven series uh, match that was uh, on paper looking like it was going to be for the Universal Championship. And uh, general manager Mick Foley decided differently. He decided that they were going to be a tag team and that their opportunity was going to be for the tag title. So here they find themselves against the New Day and the New Day retained by any means necessary and uh and, and certainly that played a huge factor how did how did you feel watching that live and seeing what the new day did and did you feel that that was a a, a match worthy of the kind of professionalism that cesaro brought in the brutality that sheamus brought i was surprised i was honestly waiting for the moment that they hit their breaking point cesaro and sheamus both went at each other causing each other to cost themselves the championships but that didn't happen they showed more cohesiveness in this match than they ever have before and i will say wholeheartedly they make a pretty damn good team together they have some awesome chemistry as partners they showed that some Sheamus even jumped off the top rope at one point. I don't know if we've ever seen that from the Celtic Warrior in WWE. So that alone was really surprising. I mean, given the match placement right before the main event, this match was bound to die a death. But they didn't do that. I thought they put forth a really, really good effort. The disqualification finish, as you mentioned, was a bit disappointing. But that said, it does keep Cesaro and Sheamus beyond Survivor Series in that championship picture. Yeah, and, you know, I'm starting to see that maybe Sheamus and Cesaro are, are finding a little bit more in common with each other than they may have realized. And I think that that... For better or worse, the more that Cesaro leans towards the mentality of Sheamus, the more successful they might be as a team. Mm-hmm. When you have Sheamus on your side and, he, and he's got your back and you, you really don't have any in-team problems, then other teams have some pretty big problems. Cesaro is one of the strongest competitors I've ever seen next to the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. And Sheamus is one of the most brutal, physical, and just grueling uh, people to be in the ring against. So the two of them together with their international background, it almost makes them unstoppable. It's almost like what um, the League of Nations attempted to do, but just as a bunch of silos, as a bunch of individual personalities, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. As a focused unit they could they could really make a run at the belts and i and i would say that gallows and anderson would have a tough time 
putting one over on them or using any of their silly games to get under their skin. And, you know, as much as the crowd wants to turn on someone like Sheamus and chant you look stupid or get under his skin in any number of ways, even when his head's turned and, and, and Sheamus gets socked right in the jaw, he just turns right back around and gets even more mad. So it doesn't necessarily have a big impact and or it's going to suggest that they're going to lose their matches. So I would love to see more out of them. I'm glad that they did come away with the win against the, the New Day. And hopefully that means a more opportunity for them against those belts in the future. But, you know, the cherry on top for the night, uh, a total uh, uh, surprise, uh, a match that we had been long hoping to see and that we actually got to see live in person which was an unbelievable treat charlotte flair versus sasha banks for the raw women's championship inside hell in a cell charlotte flair came out on top in a very interesting um somewhat uh stunning to the point of anticlimactic finish but that's okay I don't think that it has to end on a fireworks and a hometown celebration, even though it's Boston. That's pretty much what we do here. <laughs> I think that um, the the beating that Sasha took early, before the match had even started, played a significant role in uh, the outcome of this match. And the physical toll on both competitors was pretty high, and they were using uh, materials like tables and chairs that aren't normally not involved in any of their matches. And I think even even uh, you know Charlotte throwing Sasha through the announce table, I think that that had a huge impact because they're they're usually not used to using those types of uh, objects as weapons. So I think that that really built built into the the level of exhaustion, the level of exertion that they were going through in the ring. How did you feel about Charlotte Flair walking out the women's champion that night? And what did you see in the crowd when that happened? It was deflating. I mean, I'm not going to say it was the wrong decision to have Charlotte win. I mean, I obviously was not thrilled with it. I would have, you know, been been among those that would have celebrated Sasha Banks winning or re, retaining, rather, not even regaining the women's championship in her hometown of Boston. It would have been an amazing moment. Celebrating on top of the cell with the championship. That would have been all great. It wasn't even the fact that Charlotte won. I wasn't thrilled with that, like I said, it was more so how it happened, and I know we talked with this off the record a couple days ago, and just, I don't know, like you said, just kind of anticlimactic, and when it happened, with the fact that Sasha failed to go through the table twice, she followed it up with a natural selection for the victory, and the crowd, they didn't even really boo, they just kind of up and left, I mean, they were just like, okay, time to go home, and no one was really, like, debating it, having been there for SummerSlam this year and last year, um, people were just like up in arms about the finish, like, oh, Brock Lesnar destroyed Randy Orton, what a terrible finish, blah, blah, blah. People were outright complaining. At this show, I don't know if it's a difference between Brooklyn and Boston, I'm not exactly sure, but people, they weren't even really talking about the show. People were just kind of stunned silent, which is what I thought was interesting. Stunned silent is a great way to put that. Um, within moments of the three count, there was this sense of confusion as to was that, was that real, was that wrong? Was that, that was, was me. That, yep. was, that, was that the real finish? Yeah. Is there another swerve coming? Because early in the match, when, when Sasha uh, was almost carted out on a stretcher and she got back up and went right back in the ring just as, as, uh, <laughs> as uh, Charlotte was going to be crowned the new women's champion, Sasha Banks enters the ring, the match officially starts, and then we have a very deadpan kind of conclusion to this match. I think it left everyone waiting for that big pop, that extra moment, that that crescendo to send everyone home, and it didn't come. And is that not exactly the kind of mentality and legacy that the Flares have in general? 
You know, it's they, true. They they are all they always expect from themselves that they're going to win, and when they do, it's no surprise to them, and it's starting to become no surprise to the audience either because there was no excitement, no fandom, not even like a section of people that were interested in what had just happened because Charlotte had the belt and not Sasha. It's a very telling uh, uh, path that uh, uh, Charlotte has put herself on as to how she is going to be Charlotte Flair versus the WWE Universe. And that could be in place just like that for a very long time. And I would expect her to hold on to that belt with deep talons inside of it and, and keep that around her waist for as long as possible because that she's a champion. She's a proven champion in this business and in this company specifically now, and she's carrying it forward. So it's hard to say that uh, I, I lost, a, or Sasha Banks lost a couple points in my book, uh, but she definitely needs to reevaluate going into Survivor Series her level of, of competition and how fierce and what she's going to be willing to do and put on the line, much like Dean Ambrose is always talking about what he's willing to do and put on the line every single day. Sasha Banks needs to come to that crossroads and get more, get, get quicker, get faster, be able to counter counters. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, if she looks like she's going through a table, have a plan ready so that Charlotte's going through that table instead, or sacrifice both of you and make sure you're both going through the table <laughs> Even the odds, but get quick, get fast, and get strong because Charlotte is on a tear right now. Now, let's just flash forward. You take all of that, okay? You take everything that happened at Hell in a Cell, and there's reason why we spend time two weeks removed, 25 minutes right now, talking about what happened at Hell in a Cell because the things that are coming out, the things that we flash forward to, to what we saw this week on Monday Night Raw make such a big difference for the picture that we're going to see at Survivor Series in less than 10 days. So, Steph, Stephanie McMahon this week rounded out the entire male Survivor Series team by announcing that Seth Rollins, in a shocking kind of moment for me, that Seth Rollins was going to be Team Raw's final member in the five-on-five traditional Survivor Series elimination match for the men's side. What did you... I, I, I was totally caught off guard. I, w- I would have assumed that Stephanie would have done, you know, most anything in her power to to exclude Seth from all of this, given his current relationship with everyone. Do, do you think that Stephanie still truly values his contributions at the end of the day? Or do you think that this was more of a way to placate him and to keep him a little bit more subdued, you know, throw him a bone so that he gets off your back a little bit? Wh- which one do you think it was for Stephanie and why did she choose Seth Rollins over anyone else? It could be the latter, but I think it is more the former that she does. Well, she doesn't like Seth Rollins. She does respect his accomplishments. He's a former two-time WWE champion, United States champion, tag team champion, headlined WrestleMania. So the guy has been there and back. He knows what he's doing. He's one of the top elite stars on Raw. Yes, he fell short at SummerSlam, Battleground, Clash of Champions, Hell in the Cell. But despite it all, the people still love Seth Rollins. And at a place like Survivor Series, when you're going up against a stacked SmackDown Live team, and this is way before they even announced Shane McMahon as the final fifth member for Team SmackDown for the Blue Brand, um, you need as big of a team as possible. No one else on Raw comes close. You got Roman Reigns, the U.S. champion, the Universal champion, Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho, Braun Strowman. Seth Rollins, to me, was the most logical choice. I mean, Rusev there, you know, he has accolades as well, no pun intended. But I felt like Seth Rollins was the final piece of the puzzle that only made sense to me. 
Well, I, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up uh, Rusev because he would have been my go-to choice, especially along the company of Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens. You I mean you're starting to build out a brick house here, you know? And then you have Chris Jericho in there. Okay, I get that. You know him, the relationship that him and Kevin Owens has, and just Chris Jericho's legacy in general suggests that a veteran leader on the team is gonna definitely be a good thing. What does Seth bring to this though? I think we saw that Seth incited some of the conflict that we saw on Monday and, and basically caused the main event of that night a fatal five-way um, between Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, U.S. champion Roman Reigns, Chris Jericho, and Braun Strowman. Uh, Kevin Owens coming out on top in that match, as the champ should, um, you know, and thankfully he continues to prove himself as that champion that's winning every one of those matches. But Seth Rollins... Not a lot. Not a lot of uh, love for Seth Rollins in any direction. The people might be, people might start be getting behind him, but certainly his teammates are not convinced of that whatsoever. And I think had Rusev been in a position uh, similar to Seth Rollins, maybe maybe we would have seen a little bit more between Roman Reigns and Rusev, and maybe that would have really hurt the team dynamic. And maybe that that alone is a reason to go with Seth Rollins. I'm not quite sure, but. What I do know is that Seth Rollins continues to drop the ball. He didn't get the job done in that fatal five-way. You know, he's he's starting to lose a little bit of traction for saying that he's the man. There's there you know there's not backing it up. There there you got to back it up every single week, and that's not just with high energy. That's not just with nearly pulling it out. That means you win on paper and in that ring. So we will see what happens with a cohesive unit or a less than cohesive unit that is going for uh, into survivor series on the raw side, really interesting uh, to see that start to develop, but let's, uh, let's switch over to the, the women's side. You know, um, we had been waiting to hear who was going to round out the, the smack, uh, the, the raw women's uh, division team. What did you think about Sasha Banks being that, extra addition what did you think about ba- the, the fact that the team is uh sasha banks bailey alicia fox charlotte and uh uh nia Jax? i mean that's a that's a pretty uh stacked team right there of speed all the way to strength but sasha banks coming off of her loss like we just talked about at uh hell in a cell do you think that she's ready to compete against the likes of Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss, and and the rest of the SmackDown Live Women's uh, Survivor Series team? Do you think that Sasha Banks is the right addition to this team? Well, I was happy to see her back. I think she is exactly what Raw needs for their women's side. I felt like SmackDown had it in the bag. You got the SmackDown Women's Champion, Becky Lynch, Naomi, Carmella, Nikki Bella, all these women, Alexa Bliss, who have all been on fire as of late. And uh, Raw really needed a boost in the arm, and I think Sasha Banks brings that star power to Team Raw. But the only issue is this, and that you mentioned it right there, is she's coming off a loss at Hell in the Cell, where she's pretty beat up. She has established, documented back issues. How is that going to play a factor at Survivor Series when you're going up against five of SmackDown's finest competitors? Are you ready to throw it all on the line? Are you ready to potentially be injured for a significant amount of time? Again. So that your team, so that your brand, so that the company that you represent wins that match that's the kind of level of a commitment i'm hoping to see from sasha banks um not that she needs to prove anything especially to me or anybody but that is her that's within her that is always within her and that's what she talks about and and she does she live that message so 
I hope she continues to bring that message. I hope that doesn't slip out of her vernacular, and I hope that she she uh, is a huge contributing factor to that team as much as a wrecking ball like Nia Jax is, as much as a mastermind and just complete and total package athlete that Charlotte is, as much of, as, as a hype machine and te- a technical wrestler that Bailey is. And then you have the wild card of Alicia Fox thrown into the mix to just throw in there and cause chaos. I think they have a really good chance at coming out on top here. Mm-hmm. they got a couple of like true champions and former champions on their side, and they have a tenured experience with Alicia Fox being there, but they really don't even know what to anticipate out of Alicia Fox. She is can be a firecracker all over the place, and she could even turn on her own team. So they're, they're not without their own infighting problems, but I think that they're shaping up to look very strong. Um, and we had a number of really interesting and big announcements coming out of matches that happened at uh, on Raw this past week. Uh, two notable matches that I think had really big consequences and stipulations going into not only Survivor Series but going into the future. One was Sami Zayn defeating Rusev to become the number one contender to the International Intercontinental Championship, which has a very interesting twist that we will get to. And the second match was Lou Gallows and Cal- Carl Anderson have defeated the Raw Tag Team Champions, The New Day. I think both of those things mean totally different things, but for Sami Zayn going into Survivor Series and going up against Rusev coming off of a loss that we just talked about at Hell in a Cell, Rusev is now starting to fall into an abyss of, is my strength alone enough, or is my attitude, is my general disposition getting in my own way? Sami Zayn, clear as day, focused on what he wants to accomplish, focused on what he wants to do. And he now has an Intercontinental Championship match at Survivor Series against current Intercontinental Champion and SmackDown Live member Dolph Ziggler. Let's spend a second and just talk briefly here about Sami Zayn, the, the, the prospect of Sami Zayn versus Dolph Ziggler with the asterisk that Dolph Ziggler will be fight facing The Miz, or as Maurice calls him, The Miz, <laughs> this upcoming SmackDown next Tuesday. And the winner of that match will then go on to uh, uh, Survivor Series. I have a very good feeling that Dolph Ziggler is very prepared for The Miz, considering what happened at Backlash, considering what happens every week, considering that The Miz... rejects matches with him and and tries to play this whole Hollywood mind game uh, agent nonsense with everybody. But how do you feel, before we get into the SmackDown side of things, how do you feel about Sami Zayn in this match? I love it. I think it's great. I think Sami Zayn is one of those guys where Rusev is headed now, unfortunately. He was in that abyss, that purgatory for quite a few months coming off the loss to Chris Jericho Clash of Champions. Wasn't really doing too much of no. Targeted Braun Strowman. That went nowhere. Fell short in the Battle Royal a few weeks later. So I feel like going after the Intercontinental Championship is the best thing for Sami Zayn. Not only that, but if he wins, he, may he take the championship to Raw? It's possible. But I think an even exciting, more and a more exciting prospect is him winning the championship and taking that title to SmackDown with him. Now, that brings up a really good point because on Talking Smack this week, The Miz was once again, or, or, or I suppose you could phrase it as Maurice, was speaking on behalf of The Miz to Daniel Bryan because apparently they they just can't get along. Um, And it came to a point where Maurice outright asked 
Daniel Bryan, general manager of SmackDown Live, why doesn't if he doesn't like the Miz at, at such a deep and personal level, then why doesn't he just trade him to Raw? And Daniel Bryan lit up like a firework and said, "I would love nothing more. I would love to get Cesaro. I would love to get Sami Zayn. What if the Intercontinental Championship never leaves SmackDown, but the Miz does? I mean, the if the Miz loses against Dolph Ziggler." It's going to be a little bit tough of a sell to trade the Intercontinental Championship and Sami Zayn for a losing streak Miz. That's a tough sell. They might have to give up someone else in the trade yep. to, to, to Raw in order to make that happen. It would be tough to see anybody right now on SmackDown have to go to the Raw side of things. But to see Sami Zayn as an Intercontinental Champion on the blue brand where – I feel like he belongs, where I feel like he's got more of a home. He's The heavyweights are, are, are duking it out on Raw. Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg, Rusev, Braun Strowman, you name it. Raw is filled out with beef hot dogs. <laughs> Sami Zayn can thrive in a, a cruiserweight plus division as Intercontinental Champion and have competition like Dolph Ziggler. Have, have, have real high-flying matches and, and still be in the leagues of... Dean Ambrose, AJ Styles, go up against... Uh, Baron Corbin. I was just going to say, go go up against brutes like Baron Corbin and have to deal with that. But that is the kind of attitude that Sami Zayn has. And even if Sami Zayn wins that belt and stays on Raw, it's still even more of a reason to follow Sami Zayn specifically here. So we'll talk more about Dolph Ziggler and The Miz as we get into SmackDown things. A couple other quick hits that shape the picture of Survivor Series. The Shining Stars defeated the Golden Truth to qualify for a five-on-five traditional Survivor Series tag team elimination match. Right now, the tag teams on the Raw side are looking very divided. The Shining Stars are no exception to this. The Shining Stars are probably the most odd duck in the room when it comes to these five tag teams. Uh, And then you have Enzo and Cass, who are also bright, light, but not really on the ups when it comes to their wins, when it comes to their in-ring ability, when it comes to being distracted. I feel like both these teams get distracted so easily. It's, yeah. ooh, shiny, and they're, they're, just, they're just gone. <laughs> the crowd's chanting my name. I need to turn to them. Gallows and Anderson aren't going to put up with that. And to some extent, the New Day cause all of that as a distraction themselves to throw their opponents off. So is that distraction going to distract their own team? Time will tell, but... It's interesting that the Golden Truth were not able to come together on this one, that they were not able to um, uh, put themselves into this match being veterans, be, having seen Survivor Series, having studied it, and, and just being the, the the force that they can be when they're not on the microphone, basically. <laughs> you know, what, what do you think about where the Survivor Series tag teams coming from Raw, how do you think they, they, they match up right now just against themselves? Well, the thing is, I thought it was interesting that SmackDown had a slew of qualifying matches for the tag teams to qualify for their Survivor Series Elimination Tag Team match, and Raw didn't. They literally just named four other teams to join the New Day on Team Raw. Other than Golden Truth and Shining Stars, they lost their spot due to timeshares or something, and then they lost the match. So the Shining Stars are on Team Raw, but like you said, very, very divided amongst themselves. I mean, New Day and Club have their established issues, and then you have Enzo and Cass in the club. Then you have Cesaro and Sheamus. Alone, literally just alone. Just Cesaro and Sheamus do not like each other. Then the Shining Stars are really a step below everyone else. So it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think hopefully the way it plays out is that with one 
member of each team eliminated, the whole team goes, and it's not every single person has to get eliminated. There's going to be like 20 men in the ring, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, it's you know, tag team wrestling is coming back in a real way, in a major way in recent weeks, and I think we're going to see that at Survivor Series. I think after Survivor Series, win or lose on either side, I think all of those teams walk away realizing that they are part of a real division, that there is real competition out there, not only on their own brand, but on the SmackDown Live brand. A real renaissance, yeah. I think that no matter what we're seeing of these tag teams now, when they step in that ring and that bell rings at the beginning and rings at the end, you are seeing two different sides of the coin. And I think this could be the matchup that changes tag team wrestling going forward. And I'm going to say that right here right now i agree but before we move on to talking about smackdown we have a lot to talk about there i have one question for you one question for you graham can you handle this can you handle and this can you handle this can you handle <laughs> this listening to that song nonstop, it, amazing it is it is the number one entrance music when i walk in the door at home <laughs> rich swan and sin Cara defeated wwe cruiserweight champion the brian kendrick and noam dar who just could not get along on any level and uh they were uh overseas in and, glasgow yeah in glasgow and uh uh rich swan and sin Cara just came out bright full of energy full of pop and easily uh, were able to run around the in-ring fighting problems on the team of Noam Dar and the Brian Kendrick. How do you how do you feel about Brian Kendrick now being a champion, coming out during these matches, still being antagonistic, still being having way too much of a chip on his shoulder, and then not just not being able to get the job done, and then and then Noam Dar makes him basically look like a chump. So I, I I'm starting to question whether Brian Kendrick had a plan to get the belt. But is he a man with a plan going forward at all? It doesn't look like it. I mean, the guy's team with Noam Dar, maybe he thought that he would have the hometown advantage in Scotland. He did. Certainly didn't want to take advantage of it. No, exactly. I mean, the fans loved him, but it didn't lead them to win the victory, to win the match and score the victory. So, I mean, Rich Swan scored, he, he scored the match, to find, uh, the, the uh, victory for his team and uh, especially built some momentum after pinning Kendrick a few weeks ago, which hopefully has not gone forgotten, has not you know been forgotten just because he does deserve a future championship shot against Kendrick. But... I don't know. The whole division's really just all over the place right now with Noam Dar teaming with Kendrick for real no apparent reason. And then Kendrick, it seems like he was just winning the belt and they don't know what to do with him going forward. I have no idea. I'm confused. I I, I think, I think, uh, you know, just at the, at the top of our show here today, just having kind of the thought revelation that maybe it's not about teams in in the cruiserweight division. Maybe it's, it's more about spotlights, right? Yeah. And on a one, and we saw this in the cruiserweight classic one on one, I think the spotlights are pretty even. I think I think that there is just great competition all around. I think that the only way you can really start to tell who are the uh, outstanding superstars in the cruiserweight division is going to come from seeing them all interact against each other. Better or worse, that is how the division needs to start and start growing and start finding its way because some of these people are going to stand out more than others. Mm-hmm. Some of these competitors are going to get really serious and start getting really into the face of Brian Kendrick. We saw that with Noam Dar. We've seen that from uh, Tony Nese. We've seen that from uh, 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 Rich uh, Sinkara for sure. You know, just a, a brazen attitude to go out there and prove yourself time and time again. And whether that's in singles competition or in mixed competition, I think that they're realizing that if they're going to be thrown into those scenarios, it's up to them to push themselves forward. It's their opportunity. The opportunity's in their hands. Nail it. Make it look 
perfect. And that's that's basically where they're at. And Brian Kendrick, he's on and off. He he's he goes from precision to complete indifference in in the blink of an eye. And I think that that's what we saw out of out of them. And so it'll be interesting to see what plays out with some of the blockbuster announcements that are stipulations now for the cruiserweight division. So here's where things get really interesting. Here's where things get exceptionally interesting. So as we talk about the SmackDown Live side of the equation, we know the Raw side, we can see parts of the strategy coming out of the Raw side going into Survivor Series. But for my money, SmackDown is heating up in a big way. With the 900th episode, the 900th episode of SmackDown coming up next week and confirmations that The Undertaker and Edge will be in attendance, Team SmackDown Live appears to have more of a fighting spirit. Not going to say chance, just a fighting spirit than their Raw rivals. What do you say to that? I agree. I mean, you look at the last 10 seconds of SmackDown. I mean, when Shane McMahon was announced as the final team member of SmackDown, I, one of the pictures I saw, Dean Ambrose, Bray Wyatt, and Shane were all standing in the ring, and they weren't trying to kill each other. Right. There's much more cohesiveness on SmackDown than there is on Raw right now. And I mean, there are established feuds. I mean, Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt have gone to war in the past. Orton and Wyatt don't like each other, but they're apparently still on the same side going into Survivor Series. And then you have Shane McMahon, who is just kind of the X Factor in all of this, but... I, I think it's great. Who else is on Team SmackDown? Shane, Dean, Bray, Orton. Who's the fifth guy? Um, AJ. AJ. How can I forget the world champion? I mean, obviously, AJ and Dean don't like each other, but they're willing to put that aside. And I like the fact that Shane mentioned, or Daniel Bryan or whoever, that they can't come in contact until Survivor Series. They're not putting them in freaking five, fatal five-way matches on Raw. Well, they, and, and, to go, and to piggyback off that real quick, uh, what Dean Ambrose had to say this week on Talking Smack, yeah. when asked that very question of how he would coexist with AJ Styles on a team, Dean Ambrose almost felt insulted by the question. He's like, it's a team, man. This is a team. As long as nobody's trying to piss me off and we're all trying to win, <laughs> yeah. he's my team member. I don't have to like my team member's core values at the end of the day. But he gets the job done, and I get my job done, and we get our job done. And that's how teams work. So for Dean Ambrose, he's willing to ignore everything. Ignore all of that for the sake of the SmackDown Live winning. And that is exactly the kind of mentality I do not see on the Raw side. I do not, I do not, I see nothing but infighting and bickering. And honestly, Baron Corbin on that team, which was originally announced as the SmackDown Live uh, male Survivor Series team, Baron Corbin was removed from that team. He was probably going to be the locker room cancer in that scenario, just the, the absolute poison to the well. Now that he was removed and Daniel Bryan was it was tasked by Shane McMahon to pick anyone on the list that Shane handed him, any name on that list can go on there. Daniel Bryan selects Shane McMahon, mostly because he couldn't select himself. <laughs> he tried, though. Would have been Brian. He yeah. tried, though, and he made that comment on, on Talking Smack. He made that, that several times, yeah. He did, he did, he did drive that point home. <laughs> Just just to be Daniel Bryan about it. But at the end of the day, I think the reason why Bray Wyatt, why everybody in that ring was pretty pretty either silently uh, excited or outwardly excited, I think it's because they all know that this is the man that jumped off the top of Hell in a Cell in attempt to defeat The Undertaker and walked out of the arena on his own two legs. That's the kind of leader that you want on your Survivor Series team. This isn't just a McMahon. This isn't just, 
Shane O'Mac. This is Shane McMahon, the new and returned Shane McMahon leading a team, probably with more of a clarity of a voice to get through to everyone of what's on the line and why this is important. And Shane has the actual career to back it up, really. So as much as I was hoping to see another superstar get a, get an unbelievable chance, and I do not mean James Ellsworth because I would never use superstar and James Ellsworth in the same sentence. <laughs> Thank God he was not a part of the team. I thought he well, was. I had a we'll, fear for we'll, a second. We'll get to that in, a, in the next, I guess. <laughs> um, but um, to have Shane McMahon, to have that level of, of, uh, uh, of history behind everything that Shane knows about Survivor Series, the inside, behind-the-scenes look at how everything works, I don't see anyone on the Raw side that's got knowledge like that. And this is all about strategy. AJ Styles is all about strategy. Dean Ambrose is as, as chaotic as he projects himself. That's the strategy. He is very, very careful in doing all of that. And I think every member of the SmackDown team now brings an element of strategy and Shane ties it all together. This is going to be one for the books. This is going to be a huge matchup between Raw and SmackDown like we've never seen before. And we've seen brand splits before. We've seen this type of, of matchup before, but we've never seen this level of new competitors coming together in, in, in a way that could mean really big uh, things for both brands. So uh, absolutely incredible, but everything right now with an asterisk because James Ellsworth, who continues to be uh, just show up, I guess. I mean, he certainly seems like he's invited. A thorn in the side of Dean Ambrose, that's for sure. A, a, a general a, a general uh, weed, I Nuisance, suppose. Nuisance, yeah. You know, you, you, you pick it out, you pick out the weed. And it grows back. And that's James Ellsworth right now. And he has been named mascot for Team SmackDown Live at Survivor Series. Mascot. I mean, people this week were chanting his name all night long. Is it just because smart fans want to make a joke? So it's crazy UK fans. You know? But, I mean, it's anywhere, right? No, no. Yeah, it's, I know. Yeah, yeah. You're, right, you're right. You're not wrong. But, yeah. But... It's everywhere, yeah. you know, and the introduction of James Ellsworth, like we have talked many times on this show, he's the first jo uh, jobber, all right? Let's just call it what really, it is. He's yeah. the first jobber to come back and have that kind of jobber persona, much like people will still chant Gilbert, much like Daniel Bryan even mentioned this week on Talking Smack about Gilbert, about any of these, you know, lower, obviously uh, meeker competitors that find themselves with opportunities in the WWE eventually it all gives way to the fact that they're never going to go anywhere. James Ellsworth still not under contract, still just under invite uh, operations there. Let's not spend more than another comment or two on this. Uh, obviously, uh, Dean Ambrose, Daniel Bryan, a number of other superstars have expressed their acceptance of him being around, uh, but certainly don't um, uh, express a lot of desire to see him uh, terribly involved in things. Happy to have him. Glad you're part of the family, you know. Um, please, please don't. Can you sit at the kids' table? We're trying to eat. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in a snapshot, I I've obviously shared my thoughts about James Ellsworth, but I do not want that to influence yours. What do you What do you think about the situation? 
I think he's just been way too overexposed. I think they could have something great with him if they keep him and bring him in in small doses. I thought it was funny that Daniel Bryan made the comment that James Ellsworth did not have a passport before coming to Glasgow on SmackDown on Tuesday. He does have a passport to go to Canada for Survivor Series in nine days, which is great. Um, but I don't... Was it really a wise investment by Daniel Bryan? Just give him what he wants to shut him up. But that said... Could he cost him the victory at Survivor Series? I mean, he cost him the win on Tuesday. He got pinned by Bray Wyatt. So will he play a factor in the finish in a huge Team Raw versus Team SmackDown match? That's my question. That's that that is that is the million dollar question right there. Will James Ellsworth play a negatively contributing role? to that strategy that Shane McMahon is going to be bringing to that match. We will see. That's why all of this coming from Hell in a Cell going into Survivor Series is going to make a big impact on what's happening for the WWE Universe going forward towards WrestleMania and beyond. Um, uh, Speaking of... uh, interesting nominations to the SmackDown teams or additions to the SmackDown teams. Natalia, uh, in similar uh, perseverance, has uh, somehow uh, found herself the captain, uh, coach, whatever, whatever, ha- what, uh, the coach, I believe. The coach, is the, the yeah, coach. captain is Nikki Bella. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the coach of the women's Survivor Series team Um I honestly don't feel like anyone on the women's Survivor Series team needs to be told why they're fighting, what they're doing, or how to do it. I, I, I certainly respect the hell out of where Natalia's come from, from the training in the heart dungeon and uh, being a veteran competitor in the WWE and having a family history to study from and learn from and all of the expertise, but she's not on the team. If you're not in the ring and you're not on the team and you're a coach... I don't think you deserve any credit. I think that all of these competitors, I mean, they're happy to listen to you. They're happy to take some of your advice if you want to share it, but that doesn't mean they're going to apply it. It doesn't mean that it applies to them. You know, and, and they, none of these other competitors, whether it's uh, Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss, or uh, any of the other uh, women on the, on the Survivor Series team, they didn't ask for a help, a coach. Do they need it? I don't, I say no. What, what, what do you think about Natalia? being so brazen, going behind the scenes, basically going uh, over everybody's head on her team to create a role for herself for for Survivor Series. Well, I mean, let's think about it for a second. It wasn't Daniel Bryan or Shane McMahon that approached her and they said, hey, Natalia, we need you on the team. Like, these girls need your assistance. They need your guidance. No, it was Natalia. And they talked with him talking smack on Tuesday. Natalia was like, can I please be on the team? I don't know. Can I be a coach? I don't know. And she kept on hammering it home, hammering it home, hammering it home until Shane McMahon said, finally, he just finally gave in and said, you know what? You're the coach. Just leave us the heck alone. A lot like James Ellsworth. Just get out of our hair. We're not going to put you in the team. There's not enough spots. You lost to Nikki Bella. You're a loser. But you know what? We'll give you what you want. We're going to be in Canada, your backyard. You know Canada better than anyone else on the team. Whatever. I'll let you be a coach. Just do not play a factor in the finish with your Damn whistle. That's all I ask. That's essentially what I read of this on Tuesday this past week. It's it's so true. It's it, it, It'll be interesting to see. I feel like the, the SmackDown women's team is stronger in, comp- in competitive spirit and in um, uh, style. I feel like a lot of their styles are similar. Um, whereas on the Raw women's side, I think that they come uh, almost more individual. They each have a different style, but it'll depend on who's in the ring at that time. 
Whereas I think with SmackDown, you put any of those competitors in there and they're going to get that job done, whether it's underhanded tactics, whether it's high-flying, grappling, technical, or just brawler. They, they have the total package. Although on the Raw side, they have Nia Jax, kind of a total wrecking machine to, that'll that'll probably take a lot of effort from, I, I would anticipate someone like Becky Lynch would be able to uh, find a way to put a dent in that armor of Nia Jax. And, and really that could be the turning point and deciding factor in a lot of it. So very, very interesting to see what will come out of that. But I'm going to move on right now into one of, I think I'm going to go ahead and say my favorite match of the night, my favorite finish of the night, the, the best thing that I saw. And it might be different than what you're thinking because this is totally kind of left field for me. Um, but uh, Brizongo. Okay, that was not what I was thinking. I knew you were not <laughs> thinking Brizongo, but Brizongo defeated the Vaude Villains in a SmackDown Live Survivor Series tag team qualifying <laughs> match. Uh, I, I make no uh, hidden uh, uh, anything to hide my uh, love for Brizongo. I think that not only are they two incredible athletes and competitors, but they have probably the most antagonistic persona out of anyone on SmackDown, and that includes like AJ Styles or anyone else. They are just judgmental to their core, and they believe they are the best. That is the kind of tag team mentality that you need to have at Survivor Series. You have to believe you are better than everyone on your team, and you are better than everyone that exists on Raw. And not only that, you're better than everyone in the WWE, and you're better than everyone in the state that you live in, and anyone in the world. You are the best. Nobody has fashion sense like you. Nobody has wrestling sense like you. Nobody can do what you do. That is Brizongo, and that is why the Vaudevillains failed. They don't believe in themselves. They've lost touch with who they are. They've lost touch with their vaudevillain identity. And they completely succumbed to the 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 sheer tenacity of Brizongo. So I know that that's not what you were thinking. <laughs> so why don't you share what, what you were thinking? What was your favorite match of the night at SmackDown? Well, I will say in a second, but I do want to comment on that. Because I know you are a big follower and a big fellow watcher of the WWE.com videos that they put on YouTube. Have you been following the Brazongo backstage segments they've been posting? Oh, very much so. I will say this. They have made a fan out of me. And I'm very glad they're on Team SmackDown over the VOD villains. I thought they've been hilarious. They got that whole male stripper gimmick, whatever the heck you want to call it, going on for themselves. I think it's perfect for them. Fashion police, man. That, uh, talking smack. They just keep issuing tickets out for just bad hair, bad hygiene, like just a completely... Look, hobo shirt. Uh, hobo shirt. Yeah. For, for Daniel Bryan, that's what they said. Um, but I thought it was hilarious when Renee Young said, uh, who, in your opinion, has the best fashion sense in WWE other than yourselves? And Tyler Breeze said, us. Just disregarding what she said. They just have the best fashion above anyone else in the WWE. Raw, Smack, it doesn't matter. But I thought that was great. But anyway, so for my favorite match tonight, we discussed this via text on Tuesday night as the match was happening in real time. Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss, great match. I thought it should have closed out the show, just my two cents. Um, but that's where I thought you were going because you said you loved the finish, and I love the finish of this match. So that's what I thought you were talking about because... Alexa Bliss, she tapped out, but she has an out for losing. She is still in the conversation for the women's championship. Her foot was on the rope before she was tapping. Yep. I mean, that's been proven. She's brought that to the attention of Daniel Bryan. She basically outright told Daniel Bryan, fix this, and <laughs> walked away. 
and this seems to be a recurring thing on on Talking Smack. It With just Daniel seems Bryan, to be yeah. it just seems to be the employee grievance hour. It's just yellow um, Daniel Bryan yeah, show. Yes, yeah. the yellow Daniel Bryan show. Come on, no, like <laughs> Renee Renee somehow is is largely kept out of that. Yeah. Um. But uh, no, this this was a main event all all, all night long. Uh, Shane McMahon even said so. Uh, there's a lot yeah. of chatter online that uh, the main event is the last match of the night. Um, I suppose you can keep on uh, feeling that way, uh, but I think when it comes down to it, retrospect is the main event. Retrospectively looking back at Tuesday night on SmackDown Live, that match mattered more than any other match. Uh, there were certainly big announcements that, that had huge impact, but no other match on that show had the kind of clout that the women's champion uh, 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 Becky Lynch brought to that match against Alexa Bliss, and Alexa Bliss gave it right back. She, she, unlike uh, let, let's let's compare real quick here. Alexa Bliss to Sasha Banks. Okay, Alexa Bliss has has made some missteps. She's looked really strong, really fierce, and then gets her legs taken out underneath by by Naomi. She she battles back, gets an opportunity, defeats Naomi. Goes on to no mercy, and Becky Lynch throws a wrench into everything, gets an injury. That can't happen, you know. And and then more things develop with Naomi out of that. So so what goes down? Does Alexa Bliss grow stronger by this, or does her injuries, does her 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 mentality start to wane? No, she gets even more fierce, even more demanding, and that's what she is. She's demanding of herself. She's demanding of her competition. And she's always trying to find a way to be in the right. And they think that just makes her a fierce competitor. I think that's what's going to make her a fierce addition to the women's uh, team. And I really hope that Daniel Bryan and management consider another uh, match in the future uh, and, and still consider her the number one contender, because I do. I certainly think that she's still the number one contender for my money. I would say the same thing as well. I mean, the same thing with AJ and Dean Ambrose. They've already made the match. We, we we weren't here for this, but they already confirmed the main event of TLC. TLC match for the WWE World Championship. AJ Styles versus Dean Ambrose. And on a show where you have tables matches, ladder matches, chairs matches, could we see the first ever women's ladder match in WWE between Becky Lynch and Alexa Bliss? Where there's no feet on the ropes, no disqualifications, no countouts, none of that nonsense. One ladder, one championship, one winner. And that's the type of match I want to see come TLC. You know, obviously our sights are set on Survivor Series, but looking ahead beyond that, Alexa Bliss, in my mind as well, a lot like you, Tom, is the rightful number one contender. And she should get that title shot, not on the 900th episode, not at Survivor Series, but at TLC shortly thereafter. And absolutely. And speaking of, of TLC, major blockbuster announcement made that AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose will go head-to-head for the WWE World Championship in a traditional TLC match. Uh, uh, I'm very excited to see if AJ Styles is willing to bring the level of insanity that Dean Ambrose is willing to bring. Because Dean Ambrose can throttle it back. I know he he doesn't totally love going through chairs and tables and ladders, and who, who would? But to go out there and get the job done, I think Dean Ambrose is going to be the guy to lay it all on the line. And AJ Styles does have some things to protect, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But before we de- before we we sign off for the day, before we go any further, I want to kick it over to you, Graham. Let's let's start it uh, start right now. This is going to be a new segment. Uh, this is the NXT report. The NXT report. The NXT headline clothesline. 
So before we close it out, NXT on Wednesday night for November 9th, 2016. We are only eight days out from TakeOver Toronto. It's going to be a stack show. we got more matches confirmed for the event on Wednesday night. It's going to be DIY versus The Revival for the NXT Tag Team Championships in a two out of three count falls match. That should be nothing short of amazing. That came out of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic semifinal matchup. DIY versus The Authors of Pain. The Authors of Pain emerging victorious and easily their best bout today with some help from the Revival setting up that tag team title match for Toronto. It'll be the Authors of Pain versus the winners of the following match, TM61 versus Sanity. TM61 was ambushed prior to the bout by Sanity, still persevered, scored the victory, and is headed to the finals of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. So it's going to be a rematch from Brooklyn. It's going to be TM61 versus the Authors of Pain for the NXT Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Crown in Toronto. Not only that, we had Ember Moon versus Rachel Evers in singles action on Wednesday night. Ember Moon emerging victorious, continuing to build momentum in the NXT Women's Division. And then finally, to close out the hour, the highly anticipated NXT Championship contract signing between Shinsuke Nakamura and Samoa Joe just ensuing bedlam ensued with Shinsuke Nakamura and the security team that always finds their way to get beat up by Shinsuke Nakamura, the King of Strong style, Samoa Joe, making one final statement that he wants that belt back in Toronto. Just an excellent hour of TV on Wednesday night. It truly was exciting as ever in the WWE. We will be back next Friday with our full preview of Survivor Series and the fallout that could lead into a very intense TLC match. We will see you next week. I'm Tommy Sharp. This is Graham GSM Matthews. We are WrestleRant Radio.